welcome to Transform, a podcast highlighting the people and ideas shaping the future of senior living. I'm Tim Regan for Senior Housing News. On today's episode, I spoke with Jan Hamilton Crawford, who ascended to the president and CEO role at Trinity Health Senior Communities earlier this year. At the time of her promotion, the Livonia, Michigan-based senior housing and care nonprofit had more than 40 communities. As she takes the reins of the senior housing arm at one of the largest nonprofit Catholic health systems in the U.S., Hamilton Crawford told me she's planning to undertake some bold changes in the way the organization operates. Making the communities more of a destination point, making them more fun, making them have more luxury apartments, making sure that it's a place that their friends will come. But before we get to that interview, I'd like to once again take a moment to highlight our SHN Architecture and Design Awards. This annual competition recognizes cutting-edge design and excellence in senior living across the U.S. and abroad. Submissions are currently open. Visit SeniorHousingNews.com for more information on how to enter. And now, here's my interview with Jan Hamilton Crawford, CEO of Trinity Health Senior Communities. Jan Hamilton Crawford, thank you for joining me on Transform today. So I want to start with a question to help set the stage. I wrote a story about this last month. You took over as CEO of Trinity Health Senior Communities. And when we last talked, I remember that you said that you were sort of taking the reins at a time of transformation. So I like that theme of transformation. So let's let's start with that. What kind of transformation do you see both at Trinity and in the wider industry? Okay. Well, thank you, Tim. Like so many healthcare systems, Trinity Health, I've learned important lessons during the global pandemic. We're changing things up in skilled nursing. For example, private rooms is a must. Infection control has been tested and enhanced. And we're focusing much more on integrating with our acute care partners within our system. In both assistant living and independent living, we're laser focused on providing high quality housing, hospitality, holistic wellness, and healthcare services. So many older adults have so many much, a lot more choices now. Uh, And as they look toward retirement and life after retirement, there's just a lot more choices they have, as well as a lot more children are becoming more involved. So our teams are committed to bringing their very best every day so that the residents feel reassured that they're getting the experience they deserve when it comes to dining, when it comes to safety, when it comes to more modern amenities when it comes to programs, when it comes to activities. And also, as we talk to the children, and the children are satisfied and see different things for their parents and their older loved ones as well. That's the transformation we're looking at. So I remember that you had said you plan to implement some bold changes. I liked that theme a lot, and I love to hear about bold changes in the industry. So I want to talk about that in a little bit. But before we do, I want to kind of zoom the camera out, take a 30,000 foot view. So we are at a very interesting time, and you know this better than I do, in the senior living industry where we're at that sort of crossroads between a lot of disruption from the pandemic, a lot of hardship, a lot of really tough times for operators, and then this period of recovery and, and sort of pivoting to something else in the future, you know, that transformation, those bold changes. So as you look across the industry, what sort of bold changes do you think are needed What do you think other operators should be doing or what should the industry as a whole be doing to change how we're doing things? Well, certainly I think moving away from the traditional institutional environments 
uh, and creating them more like home environments for our residents. I believe that's what more people are looking at. Uh, more people are looking to that and a more and more of an emphasis on wellness versus healthcare. Although our residents and we're seeing people come into the industry much later now than they once did. So for example, many of many of the individuals are not looking to go into senior living until they're 80. So with that, you know, making the communities more of a destination point, making them more fun, that's for sure making them have more luxury apartments, more luxury plans, making sure that it's a place that their friends will come and that people will connect more together versus just a place where people go and live and possibly get care uh, in the future. And then certainly recruitment and retention of our colleagues. Uh, It's important to have the right people there to serve these individuals. And what does that look like? How do we recruit people? How do we retain people? How do we make sure that we're getting the best of the best with people that really, really, really have a passion for care and for our aging population? They're our most vulnerable population, but they're also, uh, you know, you have to have a real passion to want to do this and work with these individuals on a day-to-day basis. And and you'd mentioned this alignment with the larger Trinity Health system, which by the way, Trinity Health is one of the largest, I think, nonprofit Catholic health systems in the United States. Mm-hmm. So it's significant. And you've said that it's been a goal of yours to try to more closely align with that healthcare system. And I see this at play in other parts of the industry as well. So I hear a lot of range of opinions on kind of how this might play out, but how do you see alignment between what you're doing in senior living and what the larger health system is doing and how can you fit those pieces together? Well, certainly leveraging the expertise amongst the group, certainly amongst the leadership team and amongst the individuals that are working there. For example, you know, leveraging the the colleagues, leveraging the nursing staff, that the nursing staff, for example, at an acute care hospital can also work some and, you know, partner with the senior living. So it's just not so much silos. I remember more than now, almost 15 years ago, when a former organization was talking about the hospital without walls. So that's sort of where we are in the industry now. It's like doing more at home, doing more and wherever home is. Home doesn't is not necessarily the three bedroom, two bath anymore. It might be a skilled nursing bed. But wherever that is, that's where the care is delivered. That's where we make sure that it's an environment that's more around everyday living and, again, not so institutional. Also, with discharge planning, also having a more comprehensive uh, settings for our rehab patients as well as, as, you know, the patients that don't need that. So uh, just really bridging all that together. Also, the Trinity brand. The Trinity brand is, is huge. It's huge. And how can we leverage that so that anyone that's associated with a a Trinity service, whether it's in the acute care hospital, whether it's in senior living, whether it's in urgent care, whether it's home care pace, wherever they are served, it all just ties in together and connects together. I was talking with Alan Fairbanks at Bickford Senior Living on this very podcast. That's why I mentioned this uh, only a few months ago. And we were talking about how he saw a real need to shift from this model that he, and I like his words, he called it a, going from a sick care model, one that's reactive to taking care of problems when they happen, to more of a well care model, something that prioritized you know, preventive care, wellness, that kind of stuff. 
I think that that is also a goal of yours. And, and as we've been talking, it sounds like that's kind of what you are thinking about too. So what is your vision for the future with regard to how the industry can move from that, let's call it the sick care system, to something that is more gives people a chance to live with more preventive care options and more wellness options that maybe helps keep them from having those problems before they happen? Well, I think connecting them closer together, having them closer together, a model whereby it's more like a resort, spa-like resort that people go to, as you say, like it's their destination. But yet the urgent care clinic is right there on the campus. Yet the home care service is right there on the campus. So people don't have to seek out anything. They don't have to go to their car. And then there's programs that are associated with doing, you know, taking care of yourself. Just like, you know, through our insurance, we get points. You know, having our teeth clean, for example, right. but, you know, going to the tennis, dentist, things of that nature. You can work through those type of things within the senior community as well. You know, how many steps did you get in today? Did you check your blood pressure today? I mean, those type of things where they can get points, put them in a drawing for, you know, senior citizens love free things. <laughs> As we all do, <laughs> as I do. As we all do, do things, but you know, more so with this group than yes. anything. But, and again, that just gives people an incentive to get things in. So I think, you know, Trinity has all of those services already, you know, so it's really tying those all together, you know, remote monitoring for individuals, things of that nature. I mean, I have a seven-month-old grandchild and we can be out on the back porch first thing and my daughter and her son and my son-in-law, they get ready to go somewhere. They hand me the monitor. It's like, here you go. <laughs> Your grandson is asleep. So it's those type of things that you don't want to be intrusive in people's lives, but you certainly want to know and make them feel comfortable and safe that they're being cared for. I mean, especially 80 years of and older, you don't want to be a, a sick <laughs> care, like you said, program. But at the end of the day, at 80 years of age, there are things that you need to monitor more closely than if you're 40. I want to key in on something that you you just mentioned. I'm very interested in this movement towards combining sort of a, as you described it, kind of a resort feel, something that people want to choose to move into, not something maybe that they need to move into. Mm-hmm. Pairing that with healthcare options, with something from the, you know, maybe the post-acute side or, or a health system might come in. So I, I remember you had, you had mentioned to me, and I don't know if this is still your plans, but you mentioned when you first came into the role that Active adult was something that was on your radar. Mm-hmm. It's not something that Trinity has done before. So is that, is, is that still on your radar? And I guess also tell us, what do you envision there? Is this kind of in that idea of pairing something like active adult with maybe a, a clinic or something like you had said? Oh, absolutely. And even, for example, both in Connecticut and in Michigan, as well as Georgia, where we have services, we also connect, but those are very closely aligned with universities. So I think that's also an opportunity for us to align the university model with Trinity and all of those services as students go through, as there's research, all those type of things could really make for, you know, a great combination with it all coming together to serve the needs of a senior population, but also just having all those services, you know, you have the research, you can have classes, you can have the doctors come through, PAs and all those all those pieces just tying together for a great model. So I remember when we had talked, when you came into the CEO role, one of your first initiatives was to hold listening and visioning sessions, you know, talk with people in the organization. I'm assuming find out what they like, maybe what they don't like. 
if memory serves me correctly, you started that process not long after you had come aboard. So I think if I'm doing my math right, you're, you're a few weeks into that maybe now. So what have you learned so far? What, you know, what's, and what sort of questions are you asking when you're talking with people in the communities? I'm asking the question, especially to the staff around, you know, what's working, what's not working. Uh, what do you see working in the future? What are your needs? How can how can we as a system office support you more? And the same thing with the residents, you know, what's re- working, what's not working. Mainly what you hear from the resident, especially in this day and time, is they, they just want to be safe. They want to be safe. COVID has certainly, again, shined a light on, you know, where we are, what we're doing. How can we not, re- even if there is another pandemic, how can we be at a point that we don't have to close down anymore? How can we, you know, move to models that people, as I think about even building new things, have porches so that people can make sure that they have visitors and not be isolated and things of that nature. So those are the type of things that I'm hearing. I'm also hearing, again, you hear from the residents that they want that nursing care available. They just want to know that it's there, even though they may never use it or need it. People just like, it's like insurance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they just like to know that they that they have it, that they it's being supported. I'm doing listening sessions with the colleagues that will start in September. So there will be more of that. I primarily so far have been working with board of directors and the senior leadership team, but it's been a good journey so far and learning a lot. Great. So obviously we've you mentioned this earlier, staffing. I I I do not need to say how big of a problem it is. I think everyone that listens to this podcast knows. So what innovative or creative approaches to staffing are you taking right now? And maybe tell me about some of the efforts that you see on the ground that are, that are maybe moving the needle a little bit. Yeah. Well, mainly with staffing, you know, people just, it's not that hard that people would just really want to feel appreciated. They want to feel loved, valued, and appreciated. And especially on our front lines, people did not feel like they were loved, valued, and appreciated during the pandemic. And so my goal and my goal with the senior leadership team, as well as all the leaders, is to get out there and assure people that they are valued, they are appreciated. We do see them as very, very, very integral in serving our seniors. Uh, we're also looking at, certainly we're looking at salaries, we're looking at benefits, we're looking at more flexibility. Uh, and again, I mean, that's having, the, that's a shift for the leaders, you know, <laughs> the shifts, the leaders are accustomed. We were just talking about this yesterday. The leaders are accustomed to hiring someone for a 12 hour shift. And we may have to have three people for three, four hour shifts. And that might be what people want. And it's harder for us to manage that, but we have to be flexible as well in understanding what the needs are of the individual. It's a very hands-on environment. You know, I'd love to say we're going to get some robots (laughs) and, you know, take care of the needs of the individual. But, you know, senior living is very, very up close and personal. And we have to do what we need to do as leaders to assure that, number one, we can recruit these people. And number two, that we retain them by really continuing to live out our mission. You know, again, live out our mission by showing these that these individuals are very much appreciated and also work with the senior living community because believe it or not I mean there are residents that can run staff off <laughs> so we also have to communicate and share with our 
residents as well as our patients how important it is. I mean, in restaurants right now, you walk in and you see signs that say, please be kind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> please be kind to our staff. You know, they're working as hard as they can. And, you know, we have to be mindful of that when we're working with the senior communities as well. Because, uh, you know, people have chose this and we need to keep them. And so it has to be very much a collaborative conversation and a collaborative effort for us to retain the passionate staff that we're looking for. So Jan, you are the first Black woman to become president and CEO of a national division at Trinity Health. Obviously, becoming CEO, congratulations. That alone, I think, is an achievement the first Black woman to become president and CEO of a national division at Trinity Health. What, what, is, what does that mean to you? Well, first, my parents instilled in me that I could do and I could be anything that I wanted to be. And so, and they instilled in me the faith, family, and fun. And that's what we did. And that's what I've used throughout my leadership. I have one daughter and her name is Rhea. And I have also instilled in her and wanted to make sure that throughout my career that things for her were limitless. And she's also a CEO (laughs) as well and a trained lawyer. But being in this role is very fulfilling in me. I really want to be an example for other Black women, Black leaders, that you too can do this. You know, it takes a lot of hard work. It takes a lot of prayer. (laughs) It takes a lot of perseverance. But, you know, you too can do this. And, you know, surround yourself with strong mentors and people that believe in you and learn from them and accept feedback. And they too can do this as well. Yeah. So you are are obviously very passionate about diversity in the industry. I'm also very passionate about this. I talk with operators a lot. I know you and I talked about this when I wrote my story about you becoming CEO. I talk with operators a lot about the need to promote diversity, about the need to bring more more people into leadership roles in senior living companies, and, and all, including on this podcast. And, you know, candidly, when I talk with some of these folks, I hear good ideas. I don't always see it put into practice. So mm-hmm. I, I remember when we talked, you said something very interesting. You said that operators should be, more operators should be more comfortable having uncomfortable conversations. Mm-hmm. So what kind of conversations do you think that operators should be having right now? And how can, how can they do a better job of turning those words into actions? I think the uncomfortable conversation is understanding and realizing that over almost 90% of the frontline individuals that work in senior communities don't look like the residents and patients that we serve. And so how can we have a conversation about having more exposure to the people that look like the frontline people to feel comfortable moving into the the residential communities that we serve. Uh, I've heard throughout my career and and even recently that sometimes, you know, it's the price point. And I know many, many people that look like me that can afford to be in these communities, well, they've never heard of them. They don't even know that they exist because they don't have friends that go there that can share this information with them. So I think a big part of what has to happen is the whole exposure piece and recognizing that have we ever, have we presented to the black churches that might be uncomfortable, but have you gone to the mega churches and done a presentation on your community? This is what you offer. We tend to keep going to the places from which we've gotten uh, residents from versus breaking into new grounds and say, 
okay, no, I'm going to go to the potter's house. I'm going to go to, what's the big one in Atlanta? New Birth Church, that 30,000 parishioners that go to that those churches that, trust me, there's, a, there's quite a bit in there that could use our services and that could benefit from our services, but they don't even think about it. And so I think that I, I personally want to shine light on that through this role. That's a great point. And I've, I've, I, I had a, a discussion very recently. I've had multiple discussions actually very recently where operators have shared with me basically like, look, if you keep doing what is comfortable today, if you keep mm-hmm. you know, subsisting on these residents that fill your units today, come five or 10 years, you might not have that, that same kind of demand. So yeah, absolutely. Reaching out, reaching new folks, so important right now. Yeah. Um, oh, I, I totally agree with you, Tim. I mean, for example, we know a lot of the communities are entry fee models. You know, people sell their homes and they come into the life plan communities. That's that's dwindling out, especially with children getting more involved in the care. You know, they don't want to sell mom's house for mom to move into a building or an institution. So how do we talk about doing that differently? And that's where the active adult comes in, you know, and then can people stay there longer? That makes sense. So. Jan, we are almost out of time. Um, I always like to ask this as sort of a closing question, just because I like the responses that I get. So as you look across the industry, and we've talked a lot today about places where I think we both agree that the industry can and should change. But as you look across the industry, what do you see as, as something that you would change if you could maybe wave a magic wand? What would you change about the industry and why would you change it? I think one of the changes that I would make would be certainly making the choices of where people in, end up making those choices broader and making sure that those choices are all consolidated into one place. So when a person chooses to leave their home after, you know, 30, 40 years, and they go to what we would call an independent living or assistant, but that it's all right there and they never, ever have to move. But, you know, even if they need assistant living, they don't have to move out of the apartment they once lived in. Even if they need skill, they don't have to move it. You know, that all of these services come to them, including the hospitalization, that it all comes to them into whatever location that they that they move to or that they live in. And so that it's like it's their destination point. And if they choose to move there, that's where they go. And everything they need comes to them versus them having to go out to it. Well, I, I like that vision of the future. And, and I always <laughs> like to end on something looking ahead. So... Jan, we're out of time. So again, Jan Hamilton Crawford, thank you so much for coming on Transform. This was a great discussion. I love talking with you and we'll, we'll talk soon. Okay. Well, thank you, Tim. Thanks, I Jan. appreciate it. That does it for this episode of Transform. I would again like to mention our SHN Architecture and Design Awards. Submissions are currently open. Visit seniorhousingnews.com for more information on how to enter. I'm Tim Regan for Senior Housing News. Thanks for listening.